final one. I was just saying, I thought it might not be recording, was it? It'd be an absolute <laughs> disaster. Been a disaster. Um, final one, who you will have heard of. Uh-huh. Ronald Wilson Reagan. Oh, um, so we've jumped forward in time quite a bit. Uh-huh. He is the 40th president of the United States. Uh, his date's at 1981 to 89. So he serves eight years, the full term, full term. of presidents at this point. Nicknames. He's got two. The Great Communicator... Ooh. And also the Teflon president. Teflon? Yeah. Have you heard that before? No. So Tony Blair was also called Teflon Tony. <laughs> um, Teflon is a material which nothing sticks to. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what do you think that means if he's the Teflon president? Uh, it just means that no- nothing really got to him. Yeah. Like, he was solid as a rock. And you can't really, like, throw mud at him because it would just you can't say oh you're rubbish at this because he can just shrug it off and yeah. deal with it. it it'll never be it'll never be um rustled yeah it, his feathers will never feathers be ruffled never though he'll ruffled. ruffle the others <laughs> and dare i say go against the grain mm. his own grain yeah, and right. feathers yeah. will never be gone against or ruffled right. and he's always willing to play that wild card yeah <laughs> and he's not very suitable for the role. <laughs> key events he ushers in this idea of new conservatism and he's the guy behind the war on drugs Okay, big fan of that, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, remember the primary audience yeah, is school children. school children. He's also popular through his economic policies, which mm. I'm fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. Reaganomics, they were called, which is the idea... Can't wait to get Very to similar to that. what happened in the 1980s in England, which was like tax reductions, mm-hmm. uh, deregulation, a reduction in government spending. And he has a very famous quote about government spending that we're going to have a look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also famous, of course, for... Being an actor. Yes, that's one of his very famous things. We're going to look at that. Mm-hmm. What about one of the major events that was going on in the world at this point that he saw pretty much the end? Cold War. Cold War. Yeah. Famous quote from Reagan? It's not tear down this wall. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Mr. Gorbachev, tear, tear down, down this wall. wall. That's Reagan. Yeah. So to start with his lack of conventional suitability for the role. You mm-hmm. mentioned an actor, but let's go back a little bit further to his sort of background. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he wasn't born in a log cabin, no. because we're past that time now. Mm. He comes from a quite a... You'd probably say a working-class family. Yeah. Um, his dad is a shoe salesman. Okay. And we're going to come back to the question of whether Reagan sold his soul <laughs> as well. He's made famous, as he said, as an actor... Uh. Like, I think we underplay how big an actor he was. He was an actor for 30 years. No, he's in quite a few big films. 50 films. Uh. Over 50 films, which I didn't know. Do you know? I thought he was just in a few films. I didn't know how many he was in, but I knew he was quite big. Yeah. Yeah. But all the way through that, you can see some suggestions of political... Nows. Not necessarily nows, but ambition, maybe. Okay. So during the sort of 40s, 50s, He's president of the Screen Actors Guild, mm-hmm. which has a big role in the Red Scare. Yeah. Like McCarthyism. With the, the briefcase of all the names. Of yeah, so I've it was this... huge in Hollywood, wasn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. Everyone was accused of being a communist. And Reagan testified in front of the like, McCarthy House of Un-American Activities mm. Committee. And he was pretty much willing to sell anyone out and call anyone a communist. Yeah, which will help in those days. But in his younger years, he was a Democrat. And at this point, the Democrats are associated with sort of more liberal policies, 
more focused on um, the poor and minority communities mm-hmm. and higher taxes and things like that. But as he got as he gets older, he gets more conservative. And in the early 1960s, he officially becomes a Republican. He wins the governor. Do you remember where he becomes governor? Nope. Same as the Terminator. Oh, uh, California. California, yeah. yeah. People interesting. California. Isn't that interesting, though? Because two actors have become governors of that. Well, it's because California's so big of actors. Yeah. Well, that's where everyone knows them. He's... So he becomes elected, he's elected governor of California in 1966, re-elected for a second time in 1970. Mm-hmm. So he's got a little bit of experience there in terms yeah, of being a governor. Um, and he gets the sort of nod for the presidency in 1980. So this idea that he can run to be president. Mm. That's when he gets elected. He's the, he, was the, he was at the time the oldest president ever elected. Okay. Yeah, 69 he, years old. Yeah, I remember him being really old. But for many, he was seen because he was an actor and because he was quite the great communicator. Ageless. Yeah. The same, and the oldest president of all time? Trump? Yeah. Donald yeah. Trump is yeah. the oldest president, but you wouldn't think it. No, no. Because he's so, like, flamboyant. Uh, flamboyant. That's probably not the right no, word. No, but it is childish, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Better word. And he believed entirely in this idea of American exceptionalism. Mm. Like Americans are the best. America is the greatest country in the world. He makes this fantastic radio address in the build-up to the election. And this is genius, so I'm just going to read it. Yeah, go on. Um, because it, it's, it's perfect. He says, I've been privileged to meet people all over this land in the special kind of way you meet them when you are campaigning. They are not the masses, or, as the elitists would have it, the common man. They are very uncommon. Individuals each with his or her own hopes and dreams plans and problems, and the kind of quiet courage that makes this whole country run better than just about any other place on earth. Oh. So we get in that, the rejection of um, the establishment. Mm. But it, a step further, because mm. a lot of like the um, political people that say they're on the side of the people, they call them the masses on yeah. the side. He's saying no. He's saying no, America. Every person, not the people, every person's on my side. Yeah, yeah. In, as individuals. Yeah. They're not one big group or anything like that, no. which is a really clever approach not to doing corpse. it. Yeah. yeah. Is that what it's called? Like the thing? Like what? the group of people? Caucus. Like, caucus. Yeah. Not a corpse. Not a corpse. Um, <laughs> edit that out. Edit that one out. Um, so, and this gives him a sort of reputation as a kind of soft sell president, almost like a, a salesman mm-hmm. in many ways of his idea. Yeah. Michael Kazin who I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, of course. Man or woman? I'm going to say man. Yeah. <laughs> um, in his book, The Populist Persuasion, he says his leadership is basically car- carrying through the conservative ideas put forward by Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. Richard Nixon, very famously, was at the time almost the, the highest point of the hippie movement, yeah. the new wave movement. And Nixon made a very famous speech where he said, yeah, there's these groups that make a lot of noise, but the silent majority... Silent majority, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Mm. And Reagan basically taps into the same thing, Mm. that lots of people, maybe on the liberal side of politics, are making a lot of noise, but the silent majority Mm. of individuals... It's not the ones that shout the loudest. A lot Mm. of the quiet ones are going to be there. And that's really who he brings in, this this sort of idea of the people, the ordinary people against the establishment. Mm -hmm. And loads of people highlight him as sort of 
bringing up these like almost Hollywood tropes and cliches in his speeches in order to capture the votes of this huge number of people, the ordinary people, the silent majority. And they compare him at the time to Andrew Jackson. They say he's like the Andrew Jackson of the 1980s in the way that he can talk to the common man okay. and appeal to the common man more than anyone else. Great communicator. Great communicator. So that's his suitability for the role, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Out of ten, in terms of prep. Out of ten in terms of prep. Or he, bad prep, as yeah. we, we do. He's got to be pretty high on the bad prep thing. He, he, well, actually, no, he was a governor. Governor, governor for a couple of yeah. years. Uh Public speaking, must have learnt that from acting. Acting, yeah. So that's got to play a role. He's probably quite rich at this point, which would have helped. Yeah. I'm going to give him a an eight, actually. So that's really bad. Oh, crap, no. Um, a... I'll just change it to... Two? Yeah. That's a bit... That's just like Three. brilliant. Four. What do you mean four? Three is too low. Three is not too Well, low. he's considered... Like, let's say in comparison to all the other presidents there's been. Yeah. I don't know, really. But, like, well, they're all lawyers or... How many have been actors? That's a good point. For the majority of their career. Not just for the beginning. For the yeah, majority. then you say how many have been vice presidents? Loads. Oh. Give them a four. <laughs> I think more, actually. Sorry, I'm going to overrule you. Okay. I'm going to change Andrew Jackson <laughs> to <laughs> do you even need me seven, here? and I'm going to do Ronald Reagan to six. Yeah, I need, I'm just bouncing the ideas off you. Yeah. Sounding board. Yeah. Next one. Going against grain, ruffling feathers. He does a lot of anti-government rhetoric, like anti-government stuff. So a very famous quote, he says, when he comes in, there's a financial crisis. The guy who went before him, Jimmy Carter was sort of seen as a bit soft and a bit weak and a bit too, like, nanny state in the sense that the government's going to help you with everything. Okay. But the economy is basically in a pretty bad way. Mm. And uh, Reagan says, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. Oh. So he's basically saying we need to cut back on government. We Mm. need to cut taxes. Government spending needs to go. We need to help those individual people all around the country to start their own business and oh. succeed in their own ways. Won't cut, cutting taxes hurt the government? It will, yeah, he wants to hurt the government. Oh, right, right. He wants the government to be as small as humanly possible. Because oh. the smaller the government is, the less it can... He believes that the government plays a really negative part on people's lives. Okay. And remember, this is in the context of the Cold War. Yeah. Where in the Soviet Union, the government dictates everything. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. They, they want to like, almost do the polar yeah, opposite. Exactly. Of. He, talking about the Cold War, he dubs the Soviet Union the evil empire. Ooh. And his plan, ironically, when we talked about a reduction in government spending, is essentially to spend them out of the, the war kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, they can't compete with us in terms of our economy, so we'll just spend, 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 and they won't be able to keep up. So he launches something called uh, the Star Wars plan. I know that one. What is it? It's um, they fire lasers, <laughs> like fly lasers above yeah. America. So if a missile comes over, it shoots the missile. Yeah, us. which is impossible. It's impossible, but <laughs> because there's so much research and spending into it, the Soviet Union is, is sort of intimidated by yeah, it. So could they actually do that? Yeah, um, really, it's like throwing a needle through a like a key on the other side. A of the haystack. Room. A haystack. It doesn't work. No. Um, <laughs> he also 
his foreign policy can be characterised by something called the Reagan Doctrine. Like, his sort of idea. And it was basically, we will provide aid and support to any anti-communist movements in Africa, Asia and Latin America. And did you, like, buy in the in-betweeners out? Essentially, it's basically, yeah. our enemy's enemy is our friend. Yeah. So no matter who they are, we'll support you. Is that where um, Afghanistan comes yeah, from? Yeah, just going to come to that in a second. Oh, I'm quick on this. We'll come back to that, actually. So, and finally, in the Soviet war thing, he forges a strong relation with Gorbachev in the end. Mm-hmm. He does the Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the Cold War fizzles away. And Reagan sort of realises, you know, they're crashing and burning. I won't interfere with that. Rocky wins on their home soil. Yeah, and that really... Yeah. And their own leader... Leader starts applauding Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. And that, I think that really <laughs> shook them to the core. I don't think they could ever uh, no, respond to couldn't that. come back from that. So the Reagan Doctrine, you mentioned this funding of pretty dodgy organisations. He funds uh, the anti-communist Contras in Nicaragua against the communist Sandinista government. Do you want to chime in on that one? I know I'm well. (laughs) (laughs) He described the Contras as the moral equivalent of the founding fathers. That's big. So like the best people in America, basically. Your Washingtons, Jeffersons. Your poster boys. Yeah. Not the best poster Um, boys, but... But... The Contras, all of their funding was from Nicaragua's cocaine trade. They were basically supported, and lots of them were drug dealers. Drug dealers, yeah. So there were really questionable things about this. Mm. One of the biggest other ones was the Iran-Contra affair, which was this secret US deal that traded arms for hostages. So the the whole idea is America does not negotiate with terrorists for hostages, but there were hostages in Lebanon, being held by terrorists, mm-hmm. and America made a secret deal where they traded missiles and arms to get those hostages back. And Reagan said, no, we didn't do that. Oh, I just found And then he had a famous speech where he says, um, previously I told you that um, I didn't trade arms for hostages, and in my heart I still that believe that to be true, but the facts and the evidence say otherwise. <laughs> what, the hell, what the hell does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> like, which takes us to the idea that maybe he was somewhat a puppet for other interests. Yeah, that he right. sold his soul. Mm. Shoemaker. Same way his dad sold. Yeah. Sold. Um, <laughs> and the most famous one which you mentioned about this Reagan doctrine was Operation Cyclone between 1979 to 1989, which was one of the most expensive American CIA missions of all time, mm-hmm. which was used the US funding the Mujahideen which were jihadists in Afghanistan, which later led to things like Al-Qaeda, because they were opposed to the communists. They hated communists. Well, didn't um, Brezhnev try and come in? He did, yeah. Yeah. I remember there's one from history class, one political political cartoon of Brezhnev coming in with a scythe. Yeah, and America just... It was part of their domino theory that if one country falls to communism, all the rest fall. fall. So $630 million per year by 1987 was given to... Operation Cyclone, okay. which in many ways lays the conditions for global terrorism. Mm-hmm. So going against the grain, ruffling feathers, was this something I was going to come back to there? I don't know. Okay, we'll just... Uh, I'm really good at listening. Uh, <laughs> you just pick on We're nearly anyway. there. We're nearly there. <laughs> going against the grain, ruffling feathers factor for Reagan. Going against the grain and ruffling feathers. Well, as you just said, possibly a puppet... So oh, yeah, so, that's what we're going to come back to, yeah. 
Oh, what? We won't do it now, we'll do it at the end. Okay. Um, possibly a puppet. Uh, I don't, it doesn't seem like he ruffled many things. No, and I'm just, I was just going to um, add in something there, that at this time in the 1980s, there is a global movement towards lower taxes, mm. uh, more individual responsibility. Mm. Like it happens in, with Thatcher in Britain. It's this sort of neoliberal movement around the world. Yeah. So yeah, if it, it, it's just sort of like what would appear to be stomping on the fat cats, but the fat cats sort of want this to happen anyway. Yeah. Or is it like a government. different set of corporate fat cats want it to happen? Yeah. So pff, I think he's pretty low on that. Give him a... Give him a three. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. That's first. I mean, you could argue that, in his words, he was going against the grain. Mm. But he's, he's not really going against the grain, he's just going for the people, isn't he? It's, it's just like, well, the way he delivers himself. We'll come back to that idea, because one of the things I'm going to argue is that populism, essentially, is based upon what the people at the time think, and what the people want to be popular, and how far you can control them. Socialism, okay. did you say? Socialism. Did you say, or did you say popularism? Popularism. Oh, right. I hope I said populism. Yeah. Last one. Outrageousness slash wildcard factor. A few bits of uh, info. Mm. So just after two months after his inauguration, he survived an assassination attempt by John Hinckley Jr. He was a man with a history of psych- psychiatric problems. Bullets pierced one of the president's lungs, Oof. narrowly missed his heart. And he later joked to his wife, he said, honey, I forgot to duck. And we didn't say that immediately. No, I I think that was carefully um, (laughs) scripted. Within several weeks of the shooting, he was back at work. So he really like sort of bouncing back, kind of. That that was his sort of attitude. Mm. Um, Can't keep this down. No, we talked about the claims that he was essentially a puppet for corporate interests, and there's a big sort of. And I don't know how much uh, credit you can get to this, because in his later years, he suffered from Alzheimer's and sort of being senile. And there's an argument that he was already senile by the time he became president. And it was essentially given scripts to read. Okay. And he just read and delivered them. And there's sort of clips of these speeches where close advisors, sort of corporate advisors, are urging him to say, like, hurry up or get back on message and things like that. Okay. But I'm not sure how much... Um, yeah. You can, sort of like a wife's tale. Yeah. yeah. And talking about the films he starred in, he starred in films like Bedtime for Bonzo. Well, one of the greats. Bedtime for Bonzo. Um, <laughs> just a description of ben, Bedtime for Bonzo. Uh-huh. Let me see if I can find a picture. Of it. This is the description. It says, A professor, Ronald Reagan, mm. hires a nanny, Diana Lynn, to help him raise a chimp. Hoping to decide nature versus nurture. <laughs> I mean, I so, would watch it. Yeah, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Right. Bedtime for it's like um, it's like Citizen Kane two. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a look. There's the wow. So, do you want to try and describe that? Uh, if I could describe that, it's um, well, look like a couple in bed. Like looking at each other with, with mirth in their yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mainly due to the large ape mm. that's swinging on what I assume is a light. Yeah. Uh, and he's in some sort of pajamas. Yeah. And they're sort of you can almost see them saying, "Oh, how can we get him to go to bed?" Yeah, we need we need to get bon- we need to get Bonzo to, to bed. Bedtime for, for Bonzo. Bonzo. So descriptive. 
You know what you're getting when you watch yeah, Bedtime yeah. with Bonzo. Uh, his, in his film career, he only ever plays one villain. Really? Yeah, always the hero. Uh, which villain? I don't know. <laughs> Not Bedtime for Bonzo, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> and Thomas Cronin, who's a sort of political scientist, he compared Reagan to like a Mr. Rogers character. Oh, right. Like that American children's TV host. And mm. that he would explain policy and government in a kind of neighbourly, mm. homespun kind of way. Got it. So outrageousness wildcard factor. Um, again, I'm, I'm leaning towards the middle. Mm. Middle ground. Because as much as, like, he acts a character, he acts a character in a very safe way. Yeah. You know? Uh, I want to give him a six. Six. You Remember you gave Andrew Jackson a six. Did I? Can we bump that up? Yeah, bump that up. To eight. Yeah. That makes Andrew Jackson more of a wild card than Fillmore. Oh, I don't like that, though. Well, we'll make them the same, then. Yeah, make them the same. Eight each. And I think if you're playing top trumps with these, you should do the first one as, like, the less it is, the more... No, but I'm saying, but the point is, like, they're badly prepared. Yeah, I know, but just... So that's what makes them popular. Very uneven top trump cards, then. If you do it the other way around, they're pretty even. Like, you might get one dud. Well, you've got duds here. Run, run of raids. Oh. No, yeah, no, it works. What about, this, what about thingy? Who? He's an got dud. He's 978. Yeah, that's because you got it wrong. You mean I got it wrong? How did Fillmore go 7 out of 10 against the grain? Uh, well, because he, he, I'm he kept firing people, didn't he? Six. Rustling feathers. Six out of 10. Fine. Right, that's it. Concluding thoughts. So I'm going to let you conclude in a second on what you've... Uh, learn or discerned about a popular oh, yeah. president just to to finish with so populism we said was essentially a president going against established interests uh-huh. and evoking a sort of thing that's very popular with um the public uh-huh. in what ways do you think these presidents can tell us something about the future and the current presidents. What what? Remember the the premise of this is that history repeats in certain ways. What things have we seen repeat throughout these presidents? Or with them in themselves, or with them in context of Both. the rest of them. Uh, them in themselves, I think they use the moral panic, mm-hmm. all of them, to get sort of like power and get sway with people. Yeah. Uh, what else do they do? They show that they're all in keeping with the sort of American dream. Mm-hmm. That definitely works when you're a pop when you want to be a populist leader. Yeah. You gotta sort of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps or be in a business that the people respect. Yeah. Um in terms with the future. Yeah, like what if we were and I I I advise to be very careful in doing this, if we were to say from this, we can pass on to people the lesson from history, which is... What is a lesson from history? Like what? From looking at these presidents and looking at the way that they became elected and perhaps some of the mistakes they made, what lessons can we pass on about presidents becoming elected through populism? You can pass this on to me if you want. I might... I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a stab, <laughs> and then I'm gonna pass Go it on to you. Um, the lesson that I would want to um, uh, address mm. uh, mainly comes down to like 
don't get swept up with what people say in a way. Mm-hmm. Like the the pres all the presidents sort of like they didn't exploit the people, but they definitely used them and like used the idea that I'm one of you and we get it. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. Uh, they used national pride a bit too much. I'm not a huge fan of being too yeah like too patriotic mm-hmm. sort of makes at me... the expense of rational thought yeah at the expense of rational thought yeah uh yeah be care be careful what you're manipulated by mm. if, um, in a way see this is what and i funnily enough i came across pretty much the same things which oh. is firstly that you'll probably say them much better well i have written them down <laughs> firstly that the office of president is inherently populist and like in order to be president you have to be popular yeah. it's impossible to become president without being popular because yeah. it's a democracy the issue then is not that because we both hopefully agree that democracy is a reasonably sensible system oh, yeah. or the best system we've got yeah. this issue stems from what is considered popular at any given time and what the electorate the people that are voting for the president consider to be the desirable features of the president yeah. And hopefully you've seen, I certainly saw this while I was researching this, that what the public sees as desirable changes over time. Yeah. So with Andrew Jackson, they saw it desirable to see the first guy who actually represented something. What else did they really appreciate in Jackson's history? What else did they really appreciate in Jackson's history? Why, how, did he, how was he sort of pushed to the forefront of people's minds in the first place before he became a politician? Oh, what did he do? He... Remember he was old Hickory. Yes, he was a military leader. Yeah, military yeah. leader. So in those times, they rewarded military leaders, and that's mm. what they wanted. Mm. That was like their celebrity, the same way that people like Ulysses S. Grant later becomes a president. He was a great military general during the Civil War. And Reagan was actually a celebrity. Actually a celebrity, yeah. and that, like a real celebrity. Yeah. Millard Fillmore's obviously the odd one out, because... He got in through his mate dying. His mate dying, and also the fact that he wasn't particularly popular in that sense. But he is a populist president. He's addressing a sentiment that's almost too early. Mm. The context wasn't ready for that sentiment. Well, I feel like he's a good example because he he sort of, as weird and, I'm going to say, dodgy as his principles were, Mm. he stuck with them. And he said, like, this is what I believe in. I feel like an issue with a lot of presidents, they sort of, a lot of political leaders, they go... I agree with you with this, even though yeah. it might not be what they really stand for. And if they don't believe in it, they're not going to push it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think your your concluding thought, which was like, beware of getting swept up mm. in a sort of idea or a wave of populism mm. and think about things and rationalise why why is it at this particular time that we are so desiring a person who is doing this. Yeah. So like in our current situation, and it's not just Trump, it's all around the world, people want someone to go against the establishment, no matter what the process of no going against... No matter what the cost. No, like, it's just like... <laughs> um, we were talking about this earlier, like when Trump has done something wrong or is seen to do something wrong, he doesn't apologise, he doubles down. Yeah, he really, really like... He never apologises. Never. And, he... and you, you have to admire that in a... In a leader. But we admire that in our current state of leadership because we're so used to leaders apologising. Yeah, flip-flopping. And again, it's what do the American people want? What do people want? They want someone honest and real. And that's what all of they these... They didn't pres- want a politician. No. no. Which is the ultimate irony. Lesson then, the very tentative lesson we can perhaps learn is don't get swept up in populism at the expense of rational thought. Yes. Yes. Love that. Going to finish with a quiz. Oh, OK. Bloody... I mean... 
can't swear, can no. I? No, I'll just do that again. We're going to finish with a quiz. Crikey. <laughs> no um, edit in there. Um, we're going to finish with a quiz. I'm going to quiz you on... You don't need to write them down, you can just say them if you want. Oh, OK, OK. Uh, quiz you on some of the things that we have looked through today to see if you actually learnt anything or even remotely listened. <laughs> I might recap on the quiz I did last week for the four listeners. Mm-hmm. The last week was about pandemics. I told you about that, didn't I? Uh, like Black Death and things like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You might be able to answer these, anyway. Oh, very good, yeah. Um, what was a flagellant? Oh, that was someone that goes from place to place whipping themselves for the forgiveness of God. During they... what pandemic? See the black death. Well, I think I would have done it in chronological order. I don't know what that <laughs> Black death. Black death. Yeah, so they went round cities of Europe whipping themselves on the back to apologise to God. Yeah. Second question, there's only five. Which religious group did many blame for the black death? Uh, the Jews. Yeah, the Jewish people were blamed because they didn't seem to get it because they were living almost in an effective quarantine anyway. In the ghetto. Yeah, and they were like, well, if they're not getting it, they must be poisoning the world. Mm-hmm. Not really a very logical conclusion. <laughs> Question three, where does the word quarantine come from? Did I tell you that? No. Uh, France? Well, not literally what country <laughs> it comes from. It comes from Italy, so uh, you're quite close. Um, because, quar- I can't remember the exact uh, Italian, but it's something like quarantine, and qu- that means 40. Okay. And it was 40 days that ships had to be held before they were allowed out. Oh. So it was a quarantine for 40 days. That's good. Um... How did the rich in Britain respond to the Great Plague? They did what Dominic Cummings has done. Oh, they went everywhere. They they basically left their dangerous house. And went to their nice country house. Yeah. yeah. They would leave, loads of them left London, fled to the countryside where it was safer, including yeah. the king. Mm. Where, final question, where did the Spanish flu originate from? Not Spain. Not Spain. Um... On the colonies, as a guess. Well, they reckon it's either China or most likely America. One of the colonies, not China. Well, America. Well, they weren't at the time, were they? <laughs> 1918. So this quick quiz for the populist presidents. Question one. What was Andrew Jackson's nickname? Old Hickory. Old Hickory. Yeah. Any other nicknames? Uh, oh, he had loads, didn't he? I can't remember. I just remember one. Yeah, Old Hickory. Uh... Oh, the one that made the... Um, the Democratic... Oh, um, Jackass. Jackass, yeah. Um, oh, there were loads of them, I can't remember. King Mob. King Mob. I think they were the main ones. Yeah. He was often called a king because people thought he had too much power. Yeah. Question two, what was the Trail of Tears? That was when old... The Jackson game. Yeah. Jackson uh, sort of relocated a bunch of Native Americans to expand on American land because of... It's not called the Mandate from Heaven, is it? No. What's it called? It's called... Oh, Heaven's... Do you not know? I do know, yeah. It's something Heaven. Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny. Yeah. Damn it. Um, Yeah, so in response to the Indian Removal Act of 1830, all the removal of the Indians, pretty horrible. Pretty horrible. Question three. Millard Fillmore was what number president? 13. Yes. What was Fillmore's first action upon becoming president? According to political scientists. What's the first thing he did? Oh, what was the first thing he did? Um, give me a clue. Um, 
Well, it's hard to give you a clue. All I can think is Catholics. Chaos. Ca- oh, they have fired all of his staff. Yeah, fired his whole cabinet. And then brought in other people. Yeah. Just to so I'll give you a half of that. Yeah. Question four. No, question five. Mm. How old was Reagan when he became president? 69. 69. Yeah. So that is four and a half out of five. Ooh. Pretty good. Not bad. Right, that's the end. What the colour of the ships that arrived in Japan? Black. <sighs> give me another one. Uh, oh. Uh, from what... Is that gunboat diplomacy? Yes, gunboat diplomacy. Yeah. Uh, from what state did Japan move into in terms of governance after uh, this? So it, it went... Well, it was a military state and then it went to an autocracy. Yes. See, I've been listening to you as well. <laughs> so that's the end of this episode. Next episode, this is an interesting one, I think. Uh. I'm going to look at teenagers. Oh. In the sense that how attitudes to teenagers have remained... Like, you know, every generation says they're the worst, this generation. <laughs> well, they are the worst, this generation. Yeah, 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 I know, they are. Um, but, like, they've been saying that all the way back to, like, ancient Greece. Yeah, everyone says. Everyone says that they're worst. The Everyone's teenagers teenage are the worst. Do you want to say goodbye? Uh, yeah, thanks for Yeah, just say goodbye. Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs>